Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off Podcast. Today, we've got Dan Roberts. He's a senior writer at Yahoo Finance, and we are talking crypto. Number one fear, and I see it happening, is regular people rushing into these coins, putting a lot of money into them. A, you should only be investing in something you understand. And number two, like any other investment, only put into it what you can lose. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Well, you asked for it and we've got it. A Bitcoin expert. We've got senior writer from Yahoo Finance, Daniel Roberts, also known as Dan, who also writes about sports business at Yahoo Finance. He is the crypto king. So I am delighted to introduce Dan Roberts. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Dan Roberts, the expert on crypto everything. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me in. So before we start, let me tell you that we begin every show with a guest and we say a very important question. Best financial decision you've ever made? Wow. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. I would say saving money most summers that I worked in college. Just not touching it. What'd you do? A uh, number of things. Uh, summer camps, teaching tennis. Uh, I was oh, so a tennis good, instructor a number of summers. Wait a minute. You're a good tennis player? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Mark is a huge tennis fan. We are recording this on a, the beginning at the beginning of the Australian Open, and Mark is sleep-deprived because he stayed up so late watching the Australian uh, Open. Do you do things like that? No, no, ma'am. I do mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll catch up in the morning. I can't sacrifice the sleep. Um, and had, where did you save it? Just in a savings account? Yeah, savings account. Going back to school, I tried to leave those funds alone, not touch them. You know, three, four summers worth of pay from summer jobs, just left alone, didn't touch. All right. Tell us a little bit about your career, because uh, you spent five years at Fortune. You're now at Yahoo Finance. Your your main job is sports business writer. That's how you sort of came into Yahoo Finance. Is that right? Yeah. I would say in the last year, though, that crypto has become as big a beat. Let's see, I started writing about Bitcoin back at Fortune in 2011, nice and early. And as we know, the technology came along in 2009. Now, I would say that it's still early. It may not feel that way because everyone has discovered it and is on it and mainstream media is freaking out. But it's still early days for this technology. It's a nascent technology. Uh, You know, people say, oh, where is it going? It hasn't yet created a killer app. Well, give it time. We are talking to you on the day that uh, Bitcoin is down 12 percent. Now, by the time this airs, it could be up 100 percent from there. So can we just go back? We had a couple of listener questions that we answered about Bitcoin, which then prompted more questions. So I thought, why should I just blather on about this? Why not get an expert? You're my expert. I want you to try to do is explain in plain English for those folks who hear about Bitcoin but don't understand it, what is this? And then we'll go into the technology behind it. So what is Bitcoin? In the simplest sense, it was created as an online payments platform, a way to pay people with less friction. So send money faster and more cheaply. So let's say you have a friend in Africa and they urgently need money, or maybe it's your son or nephew or a relative. In the old days, so to speak, but as we know, this is still the way many people would do it, you'd go to Western Union or any other money transfer business. Usually you would go up to a physical window and you would do a money order and it would take three or four days, that's the transfer delay, and you'd pay a fee, a significant fee. The proposition value of Bitcoin 
is very small fee, instant or close to instant transfer time. So the person in Africa will get that money in a matter of minutes, not days. That was how it was originally conceived. In 2008-9. 2009, yeah, mm-hmm. with a white paper, and as we know, created by someone using the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. But now, in the intervening years, the use case has really changed. And for the most part, people jumping into Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are just using it as a speculative investment. They're right. buying and holding because they think it will go up. Okay. So, but let's go back to Bitcoin for a second. So, you have a fabulous article on Yahoo, which we will link to because I love it. It is the article that is entitled, The um, Biggest Mi- Misconceptions About Bitcoin. Yep. Obviously, there are a lot of things that are floating around. So, we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies. When we talk about it, we're going to talk about Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ether, and Ripple. And yep. more, more, more. Okay. I'd, I'd call those the big four right okay. now. Okay. Yep. So when this was created in 2009, the other use case I thought was, you know, all this horrible crap just transpired in the universe, right? With big, huge financial institutions messing with us. And central banks may or may not have intervened. And was that good or bad? I thought that one of the other use rationales behind Bitcoin was there's no central bank behind us. There's no intermediaries. There's no one mucking up the system. Is that true? Yes. And in fact, there's been an interesting philosophical shift because in those early days, the big Bitcoin believers were mostly libertarians. And you're right. The appeal was it's not fiat currency. It is decentralized. There's no middleman or intermediary. It's outside government control. Now, that's not the same as unregulated. There are some forms of regulation. But for the most part, it is separate from the mainstream economy. And in fact, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but also seen as a hedge during times when the local national currency is failing. So Venezuela, uh, Greece during the Greek banking freeze. We saw people buying Bitcoin as a hedge, as a store of value. And part of that also led to more nefarious uses where early on we heard stories about, oh, this is where you can use your Bitcoin. You can buy drugs and you can launder money. Has that stopped in general now or is that still going on? That hasn't stopped. Uh, I would say that one fair retort that I've heard is, look, you can use cash for crime too. And in fact, cash is the chosen currency of drug deals because it's untraceable, it's cash. So yes, Bitcoin, because it is semi-anonymous, because it is outside of government control, because it's non-fiat, because it's peer-to-peer and decentralized, it became a popular route uh, on illicit marketplaces. We all know the Silk Road story. That was a very high profile case. Very bad for Bitcoin. And for a while, all of these headlines, we call this bad for Bitcoin. You know, there were different hacks of major exchanges. Mt. Gox crashed because it was hacked. So yes, all that is true. But I like to say, look, technology is agnostic. You could use technology to buy drugs or buy weapons, God forbid. But it's also still a popular currency among terrorist groups. But you can also use technology to give to charity. Some people want to give charitable donations anonymously, and Bitcoin is good for that. Hmm, That's interesting. It's still the case. However, recently we've heard that criminals who threaten people, you know, they hack someone and then they ransom, are moving away from Bitcoin because, specifically because, it isn't really truly anonymous and it is a little bit traceable. And some people who've used Bitcoin for crime have been found and traced. Tell me about how it's traceable. I'm intrigued by that. I I did not know that. So the Bitcoin blockchain 
is the ledger on which all Bitcoin transactions are recorded. Hang on right now, because everyone who's listening <laughs> who's not familiar with this, this is the crux of right. why you have to care about cryptocurrency. So now, can you explain, Dan, what is it about blockchain that makes this technology so powerful? Yes. So blockchain is decentralized. So there is not one middleman or arbiter. So when you send money via Chase, Chase as an organization is settling that transaction. Chase holds the cards. Chase controls the settlement of that transaction. On the Bitcoin blockchain, transactions are verified by mining blocks of data. Hence, it's called a blockchain. And without getting too technical, miners are people that have big, expensive, heavy machinery that are solving complicated computations to win the right. They're competing. It's a race to upload blocks of data. And those blocks include tons of transactions. It might include your transaction if you pay someone $10 worth of Bitcoin. So those get added to the chain and it is immutable, permanent. So every transaction done in Bitcoin gets recorded on this blockchain. Immutable, like I said, so it can't be tampered with. Decentralized, so there's not one central power or party. And that's what people like about it. So now you're seeing Wall Street institutions and financial institutions flock to blockchain, but without Bitcoin. That was the narrative in 2017. The hottest hyped narrative of the year was, oh, we really like blockchain, but not Bitcoin. Because you imagine that the blockchain, the application is beyond this thing called the currency itself. Yes. The blockchain, that technology can be used, obviously, in the payments business. But also, I understand that IBM for logistics is doing a ton of investment in blockchain or not. You're giving me a little bit well, of the, they sne are. the smirky, sneery uh, yes. thing. I would say that many, many, many of the institutions coming out and saying, ooh, we're doing a pilot program with blockchain. It's all lip service. It's ah. look at us. We want to look like we are caught up in the now. We we know what's hip and what's hot and we're doing it. Yeah, mm -hmm. we know about blockchain. Right. But it became this buzzword that in many cases was meaningless. I mean, yes, you can use blockchain technology without a cryptocurrency. However, in most cases when banks talk about using it, it's not very sexy. We're talking about speeding up their backend transaction settlements. Yeah, but that's kind of like, okay, so I'm- And, and I'm, it's important. It's I was efficient. just going to say, I'm completely a nerd about that. But it's that, not, but you know, world changing. No, no, it's not world changing. But for example, like when I first got into the business of trading, we had T plus five days, right? You would have the transaction and the transaction would settle in five days. And then it's gotten shorter and shorter. But if the blockchain technology can be used to settle trades, then all of a sudden, like, honestly, no one needs a physical floor. Not that anyone needs a physical floor now. Right. But then all these big companies can kind of get rid of various middle men or women and essentially drive down the cost of transactions, right? I'm not saying they're going to pass that on to us because they're not. They're going to keep it themselves. Well, right? and you wouldn't need to know anyway whether they're using blockchain. I yeah. mean, people compare it to the way email works. You don't understand how it actually works. You just know you click send and it worked. Yeah. All I care about is whether it's going to reduce the cost of trading. Now, wait a second. Let's get back to my initial question, which was when you talked that you were talking about blockchain and you were saying that at every mining computer, every computer that is connected to the blockchain is recording all this information. And the more computers that are involved, the better the system becomes, right? Well, yes, except that, and this relates to your question about can it revolutionize trading, as activity increases, the Bitcoin blockchain, at least, has slowed. Really? Yes. And Bitcoin's value proposition of, wow, settle a transaction in seconds, 
it's become minutes, and now it's become, in some cases, over an hour. This is still much faster yeah. than traditional 1.0 methods, but it's important that we note that it has slowed. Uh, and in fact, mining has become prohibitively expensive for most people. You, a regular person, could order a machine, set it up in your house, and mine, but it's not as profitable anymore because most of the mining is done by these giant mining pools in China. And to bring it all back to the crash that's happening today on Tuesday as we chat, it's because of this bad news coming out of China that China wants to ban Bitcoin mining. Now, can they really do that? Mining happens in many cases in people's homes. We'll see. But Bitmain, which is the largest maker of mining equipment in the world and is based in China, it's pretty public. I mean, the buildings are right there. Chinese government officials could come and shut them down. Asia in general, China, South Korea, has a huge impact on the cryptocurrency market from day to day. People forget that. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Dan Roberts and all things crypto in just a minute. But now it's time to talk about your real money, not your crazy flyer money. You know, your Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum investment. It's time to talk about your financial future. Enter Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Betterment was created and designed to help you improve your long-term returns and to lower your taxes. Based on the information that you tell Betterment, they make tailored recommendations on decisions like how much to invest, how much risk to assume in your portfolio, and the type of investment account you should have. You'll pay a low, transparent advisory fee compared to traditional services, a quarter of a percent on assets under management, with the option to upgrade to 40 basis points for access to a CFP or a licensed financial expert. If you're looking to jumpstart a little bit of your New Year's resolutions, you may want to check out Betterment's free investment review. It will help you assess your current investment approach and take into account taxes, fees, and risk exposure. That might help you get a clearer picture of what you're doing well, how you can improve your investing, and where Betterment might be able to help. Go to Betterment.com slash off, and you can learn more. And now, back to our interview with Dan Roberts. When someone is out there listening right now who has literally like, this is very fascinating and intriguing, but I'm listening to Jill talk to Dan. I've listened to the, <laughs> the episode on Planet Money where the guy lost his Bitcoin and like couldn't find his password. And that's a horrible thing. Yeah. Why? Should I still pay attention to this? Is this tulip mania? Jamie Dimon has now reversed course. He said, this is a bubble. This is a Ponzi scheme. And as he was building his Bitcoin trading desk, I might add, um, he now has reversed course. It's maybe I overstated. So a number of things to unpack there. Yes, the technology and then the price of the asset are really separate issues. And in fact, the price of Bitcoin doesn't need to be high at all. It's kind of irrelevant. I mean... It is being driven up by sentiment. I would say that, like with commodities, uh, and we can argue about what Bitcoin actually is, the price depends on what people think its value is. Right. Uh, you know, and, and when sentiment is hot and positive and the headlines are good and things are rosy, the price is going to go up. But there's no reason Bitcoin needs to have a high price. Bitcoin as a currency is kind of a fading notion. In fact, we call them cryptocurrencies, but I like calling them digital assets. I think that's a more apt term. Mm. And people define these differently. You were saying that it, it reminds you of commodity markets. And in fact, the IRS finally in 2014 came out with some guidelines on Bitcoin. They consider it property, which means that unlike with equities, you wouldn't have to do capital gains. 
the idea that it's a currency, it doesn't really work that well as a currency. No one is buying things in Bitcoin anymore. No one is looking to see where can I spend my Bitcoin because as the price goes up, you just hold it. Right. So now it's just a bet. Yeah. Now the technology, a lot of people are very bullish on that. That's a separate issue. You, a regular person who's listening to this great show, do you need to worry about how the technology works and the ins and outs of the tech? Not really. Does anyone understand how the internet works? No. They just know that HTTP is the four letters that start a URL and that they type it in and then they do www and it works and it loads. Right. So blockchain can function behind the scenes. So if you're looking at Bitcoin right now and now we have a futures market created in Chicago and so you can trade it, talk about how it is quasi-regulated and the trading that can be done at the moment. So the biggest brokerages or exchanges where you can buy Bitcoin, let's say you want to buy some right now. And by the way, uh, I'm not dispensing any investment advice. No, but, of course not. But if you're listening to the show and you've been wondering, should I buy? Uh, you might want to buy the dip. I mean, this is the time to buy. You okay. Know, it is sinking today. Okay. Uh, now is it is it's a good day to get in. All right. Relax, people, everyone, because when this airs, it'll probably be up by 50%. <laughs> right. So relax. Most people would use Coinbase.com, which is the leading U.S. brokerage. But there are other options. Gemini is an exchange created by the Winklevoss brothers. And I don't want to give them, them any business. Why should we give them business? Right. Well, people know them from the Facebook movie, The Social Network. But the point is, there are a number of these exchanges now, and all of them have chosen some form of license. You could say the fact that there's not even one de facto license to get shows that it's not as regulated. Well, yes. But they're all licensed in some way or another by some entity. So Coinbase has a license through the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and also is regulated by FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. FinCEN monitors all these companies. Uh, and I believe Coinbase is somewhat FDIC insured too. So you have that. Really? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that if someone gets your password to your Coinbase account and transfers all your funds to somewhere else, that they are going to reimburse you. No, sir. But if the but you're saying that if the platform itself goes broke, that account is insured with the same FDIC insurance per yes. account? Yes. Hmm, and I then didn't know that. Gemini has a license through what's called the Bit license. And that was very controversial. That came around two or three years ago. That is the NYDFS, which is the New York Department of Financial Services, came out with the first ever statewide regulation guidance, a set of regulations on digital currency businesses. Hmm. So any cryptocurrency businesses that hold customers' funds, you know, those are called money services businesses. And it's called the bit license, which is this framework. And in fact, when NYDFS introduced the bit license, a number of Bitcoin companies fled New York. They said, goodbye. Right. I don't want to have to deal with this. Right. Because again, the whole point of Bitcoin was, oh, it's unregulated. It's outside government control. Now you have people coming in who say, I like this. I like that it's regulated. So there's this fun philosophical push and pull. But that's just one part, is that all the exchanges are licensed by someone. Then in addition, as I mentioned, the CFTC is regulating and approving they have to get approval, any of these Bitcoin futures or Bitcoin options trading. Mm -hmm. Subtle difference there. There are some places doing options trading, but not futures trading. You mentioned futures trading, CME Group in Chicago, and also CBOE in Chicago. They were first out the gate. NASDAQ has announced that it wants to do Bitcoin futures trading. Everyone's rushing in, but they all have to get approved by the CFTC. What is your fear as someone who has really done the deep dive into crypto and digital currencies and dig what's called digital commodities. How about that? We'll do that. What is your fear about this Bitcoin mania? 
number one fear, and I see it happening, is regular people, some of them might be your listeners, but I hope they'll be smarter, rushing into these coins, putting a lot of money into them. And look, at the end of the day, A, you should only be investing in something you understand. That's why at Yahoo Finance, we've been doing these helpful explainers, and they do very well, by the way, because people are hungry for this information. Very simple. Whenever I tweet them out, of course, the Bitcoin believers, the Bitcoin crazies who've been entrenched in this stuff for years, tweet snarkily, you know, we all know this. It's like, well, the average person doesn't. We do, what is Ether? What is Ripple? What mm -hmm. is Litecoin? What is the blockchain? These are questions everyone has, and they should be doing a little bit of homework. And number two, like any other investment, only put into it what you can lose. Don't mortgage the house and put it into Bitcoin. My God. And of course, you can say, oh, people aren't doing that. But I'm already hearing stories from friends. I'm 30 years old. I'm hearing from people my age who know people at their office who are asking questions like, where can I buy this stuff with a credit card? Mm. Because I don't really have that much money right now to play with, but I want to put a lot of money into it. Oh, boy, does that scare me. That is scary. Yeah. And in fact, there's good reason why Coinbase, which, as I said, is the leading mainstream, easy to use option for buying Bitcoin, doesn't let you buy with a credit card. Because God forbid, I mean, then you get into debt. I mean, Americans over leveraging themselves is how the crisis happened, we remember. Yeah, now, I mean, and, and, every, and every but, crisis, by the way. Yeah. Right. And so people should be very, very careful. And I'm nervous that people looked at just the two-week period that ended 2017, when everything was up, heady days, whoo, our, our Yahoo Finance heat map, where you can see an instant view of the whole market, was all green, baby. And people were buying, 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 whoo. And now it's crashing back down. And by the way, right now it's around 13,000 as we talk. That's still much higher than it was just a year ago. It's still way up in the last year. But people are freaking out. Well, don't bet the farm. Right. So the only amount of money that you should put in Bitcoin, even if you know nothing about it, just for a flyer, is what you can afford to lose. What is it about crypto that got you so psyched about it? You love sports. You covered the business of sports. You love that. Why did you love this so much? I think two things. One, the incredible passion of the community. Uh, these, I call them for shorthand, Bitcoin believers, true believers, whatever you want to call them. And now it's gone beyond Bitcoin. You know, we can talk about Litecoin. I don't want to bore everyone to get too into the different coins. But unlike Bitcoin, people know who the creator is. It's this guy, Charlie Lee. And the people in the Litecoin community are obsessive. They, they love him. They retweet him. He's popular on Twitter. And they like that they know who created it. My point is just that it's not just Bitcoin now. It's all these different coins. Each one almost has its own community of believers. People are so obsessive. They're so passionate. The people who are in this world have traded in their regular day jobs at tech companies. Many of them are developers, techies. Now they work at Bitcoin companies. I'm excited for the potential use cases that could impact my industry, media. I look around and I see that digital-only news publications, I work at one, Yahoo, you could rattle them off. You know, Everyone is trying to figure out how can we get people to pay for our content? Mm -hmm. Because God knows it costs money to produce great journalism. And it isn't that people aren't reading news. In fact, people are consuming more news than ever. But somewhere along the way, a conversation for another day, people became convinced that they shouldn't have to pay to get news. And that's a shame. So people have tried paywalls with varying success. It has worked for the Times. It has worked for the Journal. It has worked for the FT. But the number of places where it has worked is very small. It's mm. places that are need to read for a large portion of people. So what can we do? Well, if only there were a way to make it frictionless, 
to instantly pay such a tiny amount of money that it's like an impulse purchase at the checkout aisle, a pack of gum. So let's say we have a deep investigative feature that we promise is great and fascinating. Let's say it's a New Yorker long form profile of some famous actor and you want to read it. You don't want to have to enter your whole credit card info. Oh my God, it takes forever. But if only there were a way to push a button and it just charges you 10 cents. I like you would that. Do it. And Bitcoin has that possibility. There are companies working on this. Frictionless, instant online payments. It doesn't have to be Bitcoin. It could be Litecoin. It could be a different cryptocurrency. It could be a token, and that's the best word to use, that hasn't even come around yet. But that is one use case. People talk about the killer app of Bitcoin. They say, oh, there isn't yet a killer app. And what they mean by that is a mainstream use case that would force the average person to care about this and jump in. This would be a killer app. I'm excited about the use cases for media and publishing. But you know what's interesting about that? Monetizing content is really hard. Yeah. And I think what is fascinating is that I do believe people would pay for content. It's just like I think people pay for financial advice. It has to be good financial advice. It has to be unbiased financial advice. But yeah, there is a great use case. Not everyone wants to do it on their own. Not everybody wants to curate their own content and go like scorch the earth looking for this information. You have just in a very short period of time distilled this topic in a digestible way. And I think that there is great value in that. So I hope you're right. Dan Roberts, the sports business writer, cryptocurrency writer, I'm wait, 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 great, uh, crypto commodity writer at Yahoo <laughs> Finance, host uh, the podcast Sportsbook. I want you to tell us when you've got great stories that are breaking, you want to talk about it, and we'll have you on. You've been fantastic, and thank you so much for once and for all being a great explainer about Bitcoin, blockchain, and everything crypto. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Let's see where cryptocurrencies are in one year. All right. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the listener question of the week. Now, if you would like to get on the air, all you have to do is send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Now, remember, this is the time where we just get to kind of answer anything that's on your mind, anything remotely financial. It could even be Maybe something about your career or something else that's going on that impacts your financial life. Feel free. Bounce an idea off of us. You know, we really love this part of the program. This is where we can really hear what is driving you nuts or maybe just intriguing you. Either one of those. Again, send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's what Rachel did. And she is on the line. Hello, Rachel from New Jersey. What can I do for you? Hi, Jill. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I am about to purchase my first home. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to handle the down payment and the cash flow situation and trying not to hurt my retirement at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay. First, tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you? I'm 32. Okay. And how much do you earn? Um, earned about 220 this last year. Okay. And are you an employee or do you work for yourself? Uh, employed. Okay. And uh, do you put money into your retirement plan? I do. I max out both my 401k as a Roth, mm -hmm. um, 18,000, um, as well as 5,500 into a traditional IRA, which I put as a backdoor into a Roth. Got it. Great. Fantastic. You're, you're saving up a storm. How much have you saved to purchase this new home in terms of a down payment? Um, 
So I have about 115 or so in liquid assets. Okay. Um, and um, the purchase home price is four four ninety. Okay. Have you signed a PNS already? Yes, everything has been done. I'm just trying to figure out if I should put down 20% or if I should do less um, or if I should dip into my Roth um, for the first um, home buyer. Mm, mm. Tell me what the mortgage numbers look like for the various options. Let's look at that. Yeah, so if I put down 20%, it'll be a 98000 um, down payment. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm worried that it's only going to leave me with about 15k mm-hmm. um, as uh, leftover assets. Okay, got it. Uh, so I'm a little bit concerned it might cut me short. Yeah. Um, if we do 15% down, then I think that's about uh, 60 something, 66,000 mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as a down payment, which will give me a little bit more room um, in case of emergencies. Right. But you're saying that you would potentially want to take some of the money out of the Roth in order to help you get up to the 20% down. Would that be the idea? Well, I was thinking about it. I would rather not touch anything mm. in my Roth mm-hmm. um, if, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out what would be the most important, you know, leaving myself with just about 15K uh, for until I build back up um, as far as emergency fund goes and everything like that, or if I should take some money out mm. uh, off of the Roth, or should I put down less um, and take a PMI? Okay, so PMI though, if you mm-hmm. got to twenty percent over the course of the mm-hmm. next year, just because you like would be a good saver, you could yeah. get rid of that PMI, right? I guess I could. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that would be a short-term fix, essentially. How much okay. money do you have in the Roth currently? Um, in the Roth IRA, I have about fifty thousand um, in between two different accounts. Okay, and how much is in your four hundred one k? Fifty-seven thousand. Okay. So, I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. Um, Are you secure in your job? I mean, you feel pretty good in terms of, like, you're you're stable where you are, but if you were to lose your job, you could get another job? Um, It's secure enough. Um, (laughs) As much as as anyone could be at this point, right? Right. Um, I do have a variable income, um, so it does vary month to month. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only caveat to this as well and trying to plan everything. Okay. Um, I am torn myself. Um, okay. my, my inclination is to put 20 down mm-hmm. and not even deal with PMI because I feel like you have the money. It's just a question mm-hmm. of what's the, what's the least odious of your choices, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm feel, th- so I'm thinking that there are, um, a couple of ways to do this. I think I would probably say let's do the the first time home for the Roth, even though I mm-hmm. hate to do that, but I'm going to hold my nose and do it. What's the rate on the mortgage that for the 20 down? 3.75%. Okay. I mean, it's a darn good mortgage, you know, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. that's a 30-year fixed? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm voting for the Roth and putting 20 down. Hold your nose, but you're a good mm-hmm. saver. Are you going to continue to be able to put as much money away into these accounts? I mean, eighteen five next year, fifty five hundred. Do you think you'll be able to do that carrying the home as well? Um, I should be able to. Yes, that's great. Okay, if that's the case, then I'm voting for use the Roth and let's put your twenty down. Let's mm-hmm. get this going. 
and you're not going to be freaking out if the limitation to your deductibility of your state and local taxes, right? Right. Okay. It's going to be okay. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you are going to be limited, but you didn't buy this place predicated on that deduction, right? Right. I okay. did not, although okay. the timing was unfortunate. I think we do 20 down. You stay there. Your life is happy. You keep adding to the retirement accounts. Things will be good. Okay. All right? All right. That's my vote. And if you change oh. your mind or if you get cold feet in general, call us back. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling. Okay, that's it. That's the show. Thanks so much to Dan Roberts, senior writer at Yahoo Finance. We'll link to all his great stuff. We also want to remind you that we've got new episodes that drop every Tuesday and Thursday. You can go to JillOnMoney.com if you've missed any of the old podcasts. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. The podcast is distributed by Cadence 13. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. And Betterment is our sponsor. See you next week.